Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes the bottom line, success is equated with excess. This is Care for My Wealth. With Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. Good Saturday morning to you. This is Care for My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070 The Game. Of course, joined each and every week by Mr. Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. The website, careformywealth.com. That's care. For my wealth.com. The telephone number 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. And you can always email Chris as well. Info at careformywealth.com. That's I-N-F-O at careformywealth.com. Chris, you ever get something right, but believe it was wrong? <laughs> oh, God. In my chair? All the time. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We've got a, we've got a really interesting uh, uh, conversation. Uh, some, kind of a running commentary and uh, Observation as well as um, just kind of an overall thing involving different aspects of inflation. And uh, we're going to continue that conversation. As a matter of fact, Chris, uh, whether it's consumer price index and inflation, those are kind of the big hot things going on right now and all the talk, aren't they? Uh, it is, yeah. Uh, so yesterday, the CPI data was released. And of course, it came in at a scorching, hotter than expected, <laughs> 6.8% on a year over year basis. I don't know, Sean, we've been talking inflation stuff for what, 17 months now? I think so, yeah. yeah. It's been a long time, and we've we've been long of inflation up until about a week, week and a half ago when I started talking about, hey, inflation has probably peaked. Now, here's what's interesting. The higher than expected, <laughs> hotter CPI data coming in at 6.8%, we have to remember is the October to November move, right? It's the November data. Well, what's one of the biggest components of the CPI basket 
And what's one of the things in that CPI basket that's just gotten crushed in the last 30 days, or at least since the, if we look at the, the movement of the reports, October to November, and then ultimately November to December. So, what's gotten pounded in November? Any clues? Uh, Any idea? Is it, it in a, your car? is it a fuel item? Is it like a yes. automo- automobile fuel, maybe? Gasoline? <laughs> <laughs> All that, right? It's it's oil. It's natural gas. I mean, if so, if you think about how the headline report came in, and this is where this is where old wall media really gives you lots of of perspective because the noise is so loud. They just get so noisy right when things are either peaking or bottoming. And in this instance, it's the peak as it relates to headline inflation. And so, headline inflation comes in at 6.8%, and one of the biggest components of the 19-element CPI basket is oil. Well, let's see. In November, oil has only dropped by 15%, which, in this headline data piece, oil is not in that in terms of that drop, because it didn't drop from the October data. <laughs> it had dropped in the November data, which is going to be reported next cycle. Okay. So, the point is, is that this 6.8% headline inflation data, all it does is strengthen and confirm the resolve that we have, that we have hit peak inflation, and that more likely than not, you need to not own commodities at this point. And in fact, in some cases, we're looking at shorting commodities now. Now, that'll just blow people's heads off, obviously, because, you know, oh my goodness, we've been long inflation, we've been long commodities for 17 months and talking about how the inflation cycle's moving. But we've been talking about moderating it over the last several weeks into the last month or so, and ultimately got to the point where we felt, hey, the data is pointing towards this situation being something other than what it was. And that's the market sniffing out and now delivering on, in terms of data points, a, a quad one cycle where growth is accelerating, but inflation starts decelerating. So we're moving into a disinflationary cycle. Now, this is an important concept. This is an important piece of the puzzle for everybody to understand because not everything works the same inside of a disinflationary cycle. And more importantly, there's only two times that disinflation is actually happening. One is quad one where growth is accelerating and inflation is decelerating. There's your disinflation. And the other one's quad four, where you get growth and inflation decelerating at the same time. Now, do we think that this is, or the market is, potentially sniffing out a quad four? I don't know. Maybe. But here's the key. If it's a really narrow quad four, in other words, the growth acceleration is just is, is, is flat, maybe, right? It's not too dissimilar from a quad one where you're getting actual growth accelerating. In other words, the things that work in both of those elements, quad one and narrow quad four, are very, very similar. So for us, loading the equity side of the boat is kind of the same in both of those elements. Where it's very different is when you get a deep quad four where deceleration falls off a cliff. And do you know when that's likely to happen? No. We've talked Q2. Oh, Q2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And the only reason is because of the base effect. And see, this is where this is where media, where old wall media, the the, the 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 talking heads on CNBC and everywhere else, bright people, not taking anything away from them, but there's an axe to grind. There's there's a, there's something that they have to do, and that's sell ad time. So they have to <laughs> they have to make it very uh, entertaining in cases, right? You know, whatever the scenario is. But the point is, 
is that as it relates to a base effect comparison, in other words, a year-over-year comparison of GDP numbers and CPI numbers, when you start comparing Q2 2022 with Q2 2021, it's literally falling off of a cliff. That's where you get that deepened quad four cycle. Now, how the market reacts to it is going to depend on what volatility does. In other words, what the VIX, the VXN, the RVX, the S&P, NASDAQ, small cap type volatility metrics do. Right now, the volatility metric for the broad equity market, in this case VIX, is in this bucket where it just wants to chop everybody up. It wants to bounce in the 20s, low 20s, high teens, upper 20s, low 30s. And when it does that, when it hits those upper 20s, low 30s, People who are long, the IE Captain Stockpicker type people within hedge fund land, they get killed. Mm. And these are some of the things that we've seen over the last week, week and a half with these liquidation events, with markets imploding on themselves in a day. Now, remember, last week, one of the things that I talked about was if we think about how markets responded and how they, they functioned last week. So, if we go back to uh, Friday the 3rd, not yesterday, but Friday the 3rd, markets just got pounded. And on, and on Saturday, that next day, one of the things that we talked about was the VIX futures curve going from a steepened contango, right? In other words, there's a positive element. Uh, you know, the, the, I'll get into the details of that curve in the, in the next, next segment because it'll probably be helpful. But bottom line is that what I said then was that the curve moved from a steepened ba- uh, contango position to a backwardation. In other words, things just sloped downward on this curve from a futures perspective. And it was all a function of the way futures traders for volatility get paid or have to pay. And I'll expand on that a little bit later. And what I said was, is that because by the close of the day on Friday the 3rd, that curve flattened itself out and very briefly before the close of the market went positive, that was enough for us to be buying back into the market pretty heavily and pretty fast. And then what did you get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? You literally had the, the, the best three-day rally that the S&P 500 has given the market this entire year. It's not predicting anything. It's just math. That's all it is. That's all this is. And that's all the CPI is. And that's all the growth component is. And that's all the way in which markets respond to things is the math. And it's not just the number, as we've said so many times. It's the rate of change. What's the rate of change, the speed at which the number is changing in terms of acceleration or deceleration to or from growth to or from inflation? And this headline CPI number of 6.8% is more likely than not to have stamped the peak in inflation. When you get a stamp in the peak of inflation, people will want to chase it and they're just going to get creamed every single time they try. Enough. You know, now if you tune into the guys at Hedgeye, they're just been all over this for the last month and a half. You know, they're way ahead of everybody in terms of macro uh, analysis and research. And so now, where are we in terms of that VIX curve since it went into backwardation, which was a great buying opportunity, and now it's reversed. So now it's a very steep contango scenario. And when you get that, what does that tell us? It just tells us that people are getting a little bit more complacent which means that they're getting a little bit over their skis. And when they get a little bit over their skis, it doesn't take much of a catalyst for something to occur to cause a pullback again. And what's the catalyst? Well, let's see. Next week, we have two major catalyst points that come out. One, the Fed meets. 
And who knows what they're going to say? They're going to get up and blib, blab, blabber, blabber, blabber about, <laughs> see, we told you about inflation and, you know, try to sound all wonky. That's great. They've been so far behind the curve. It's ridiculous. So, you know, if you want to believe anything they say and, and try and invest off of it, you know, good luck with that. Tell me how it goes. <laughs> But it's not going to work for you. <clears throat> and then, of course, on Friday, what do we have? We have options expiration. Options expiration is one of these kinds of things that has historically, certainly all year so far this year, produced some volatility around it. And so the things that we're looking at that cause us to be very, at least as of yesterday, that cause us to be fairly cautious in terms of our push through quad one with everybody chasing the charts right before we hit that quad four type cycle happens like a lot that way. So the things that are causing us at least right now to be a little bit careful, a little bit cautious is number one, just what VIX itself in terms of volatility is doing. So started the day yesterday, math of the day had VIX on the low end of the range of about 17. So in other words, what is that? That's price volume and volatility of volatility itself. And when you do the calculus, you get a number and it creates a range. And it's a range of probable movement of volatility itself. When volatility is down, in most cases, prices are up. When volatility is up, in most cases, prices are down. When volatility hits certain areas and certain levels, it gives you an indication that everybody thinks it's rainbows, puppies, and skittles, mm -hmm. and everything looks awesome. And they take their eye off the bubble and they get rid of hedges, right? That's bad news in terms of trying to risk manage something if that's what your attempt is. On the opposite end of that, when it's in the high 20s, low 30s, everybody's in flat out panic. Oh my world, everything is ending. Just, the, oh, did you see the nuclear bomb? Oh, you know, everything is just off the rails. And that's exactly what we had on Friday, November the 3rd. VIX had a high of 35 that day, closed out right above 30 at 30.67. So at the low end of the range, which is exactly where we are as of yesterday at, you know, that 19-ish, 17, 18, 19, whenever you get to a, an extreme of the calculus of one of the ranges of an asset class, all it does is increase the probability that it moves to the other end. So point number one in terms of why at this point we're just simply preparing for the next pullback, the next uniquely American freakout caused by who knows what to give us an opportunity to resize into the equity market for the next push higher right before we hit that 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 Q2 quad four cliff. And, and so point number one, VIX is simply at the low end of the mathematical range. Point number two, S&P 500 is right at the high end or close to its high end of its mathematical range. Point number three is the VIX futures curve is giving us an indication that very, very, very large amounts of, of people are just getting to the point of being complacent, that mm. they're just taking their hedges off, that they're eliminating some of the, the worriness, fear, and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. Now, there's still fear in the market. There are fear gauges that, uh, you know, that we watch and pay attention to. And, and you know, the, the, the fear gauge that uh, most everybody refers to is the one that, uh, that CNN Business puts out which frankly is about the only thing that they put out that has anything worth a darn to it. But nevertheless, it's still in the fear zone, but it's nowhere near it was on Friday when it was extreme fear, right? Down at about 20. Now it's like at 
35 or 40 or something like that. So anything less than 50, it's deemed fear in the market. Anything over 50 is deemed greed in the market. And of course, you can kind of identify that you know we want to do the opposite of that. If we think about how the market was responding on the, uh, like if we go back, for example, to say November 25th, right? Mm -hmm. So, on November, and, and I'm going to take you back just because I want to give you a comparative scenario on how markets responded to things in certain ways. So, on uh, Wednesday, the 24th, of course, it was the day before Thanksgiving, the S&P 500 was up at that point uh, on the day, I think it closed out at uh, up a quarter point. So not uh, you know not not anything crazy, but at the same time, uh, nothing that was suggesting oh you know, the world's falling apart, right? However, if you looked at the VIX futures curve, it was pretty steep. Front month futures contract was in, and I'm going to say some words and some numbers that won't mean anything, but I'm going to give you a comparison and, and let you know why it at least at this point is making some sense to sell into some of the strength that's happening within the market cycle. On November the 23rd, the VIX futures uh, uh, curve, the term structure curve, as it's called, had front month futures contract with a 10.2% contango data. F2, which is the second month futures contract, was up about 5%. Right? Forward that to the 25th, and the 25th is, of course, the day that the market got you know, slathered, um, or excuse me, the, 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 20, uh, the 25th that came down uh, slightly, let me just get my data points here. 26 is when it really got hit because the market, of course, was closed for Thanksgiving. So when we look at what it looked like on the 26th and the market just got slammed, that, that front month, that, that very first futures contract for VIX came all the way down from 10.2 to 1.7. Why? Because it said fear, lots of fear. Oh my goodness, fear, 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 fear. And that's what happens. That front month futures contract drops from a very high percentage level right down to nothing and in many cases goes negative. And so let's forward this a little bit more. Let's go on to Wednesday, December the 1st. That was the day where the S&P 500 was down 1.2% on the heels of the day it was down 1.9%, right? So if we look at it say back up a little bit to the 29th just as a, a quick example, oh goodness, we're steepened again up to 6.95%. And then all of a sudden, on the 30th, the market gets slammed down to a 3.8%. And if we go over to the next day, which of course was December the 1st, that, uh, that, that contango data, that front month, is all the way down to 0.48%. But it was in that backward day. If you looked at the curve of the next eight months worth of VIX futures contracts, it went from a positive left to right slope to a negative left to right slope. In other words, it was it was pointing downward. <laughs> That's the time where you can tell the market is in panic. Whereas in a steep slope, like you're looking at a mountain upwards, you know, you're looking to climb the mountain, it's telling you that people are in a complacent mode and it's probably a good time to be very careful, if not protect, protective, if not maybe even consider uh, unwinding some e equity exposure or risk exposure into the market. And then, of course, we end up getting that rally and then same sort of thing. So I've, I've covered how things worked on that VIX futures curve mm -hmm. on Friday the 3rd, that it went into that steep backwardation type scenario. It was negative to the point of about four, four and a half, five percent on that front month. And where are we now after the best three-day rally of the entire year this week? It's at 12.4%. 
So that's the last point of why at this stage of the game, we're a little bit careful for the exceeding short term. Now, could that number go higher? Absolutely. That number could absolutely go higher. Like, for example, on November the 15th, it was as high as 17%, right? So if we think about November the, uh, the, the uh, what date did I give you? November the 15th. If we think about November the 15th in terms of what markets were doing, it was just kind of sitting there and not doing a whole lot. And it just kind of traded sideways, sideways, sideways. But what was it foretelling? It was foretelling that the market ended up with about a 5% correction over the next roughly two weeks. The hardest thing in the world for most people who want to invest in a way that is, that is managed around a mis risk management protocol is patience. Let people chase this stuff all they want. I don't want to participate in the crowd. I want to do what the crowd isn't doing because the crowd is almost always wrong. Will we get instances over a short period of time where maybe we're wrong and the crowd looks right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's part of the game. But I can tell you this, when the big stuff comes, we're going to get the big stuff right. We're going to get those big turns right so you don't participate in 30 40% drawdown to your capital. And the little clues that you start to follow are all these things that I've talked about, and they all are hinged on what's going on in volatility space. Anyone who is attempting to manage their money by simply looking at a single factor model like a moving average, whatever, with no volatility metrics at all, you have no understanding of how the market's functioning from a mathematical perspective. And if you do that, yeah, you may have some success over a period of time, but this is why people end up going through these massive bear markets, Sean. They simply don't respect what the underneath the surface perspective is of the market. They just look at price. And if all you're doing is looking at price, it's just giving you a picture of a shiny car. <laughs> you open the hood and you're like, well, where's the engine? <laughs> oh my God, somebody stole the engine. It, it <laughs> certainly I, happens with volatility. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I don't know that that, that contango or, or backwardation, I don't think at all that we've covered that at all in the, uh, since since you and I have been doing the show together. Uh, is, is it safe to assume that, that, that when we talk uh, contango, talking a little bit bullish and then bearish on backwardation, or am I, am I mis, miscuing on some of that? <laughs> Yeah, yes and no. Okay. How's that for a good answer, right? So, <laughs> Perfect, yes. <laughs> so, if, if you, and, and last week is probably one of the first weeks, and I know I sent out a video to clients where I talked about it, so I might be confusing where I was talking and when. So, if I haven't talked about it on this show before, my apologies. I, uh, I, I As you know, I attempt to put out a lot of data uh, and, and things for our clients that we're blessed to manage for to help them understand what's happening and why we're doing what we're doing in terms of portfolio maneuvers and adjustments. But um, Contango is just simply a, a state in which the price of a futures contract is higher than the eventual or the expected spot price of that underlying commodity or security. Okay. And volatility is just one of these things that gets traded very, very, very heavily in the open market, right? So, um, that's another way I can say it where it might make some sense. So, the, the premium or the interest that, that, uh, that's paid by the buyer to the seller of a futures contract, it, it, it's basically, it's like letting it defer paying for that stock purchase until the next like settlement time. Okay. It, 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 it's whether or not you're paying or getting paid as that futures holder, okay? And, and all the curve gives you a perspective of is whether or not fear and panic is gripping the market. 
And if fear and panic is gripping the market, the question becomes, is that fear and panic gripping the market an episode of fear? Or is something changing that now causes volatility to trend higher? And if volatility starts trending higher, what that does is it tells you that we're no longer in an investable market. In other words, if we shoot above 30 on the VIX and we stay there for longer than three days, more likely than not, that's not episodic and non-trending bouts of volatility. Something's changing. Well, if you look at how volatility has traded so far this year, it, it hasn't done that. Right. I mean, if, if you look at the bouts of volatility that we've gotten, we've gotten spikes above 30 where it stayed there for a day. Like on Wednesday, uh, uh, December the, the uh, 1st, it spiked up to 31.12. Next day, came back down to 27.95. Next trading day, up to 30.67. Next day, down to 27.18. So, see my point? You get these spikes, but they don't stay there. Now, let's compare that to something different. Oil, right? Okay. We talked about oil and how that it was trading very nicely. It was identifying the appropriate economic quadrant we were in, which was Q2, uh, quad two, excuse me, growth and inflation accelerating at the same time in Q4. Well, Q4 is about over. <laughs> so, so this would make sense that the oil market was sniffing this out a little bit, but volatility was trading very quietly between 32 and 39 on OVX, which is the volatility metric for oil. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, on, on uh, November the 26th, it shot up to 65 got as high in the day as 76. Holy smokes. That's like through the roof. Like, like that's nuts. That is an, that stuff guarantee you blew up some hedge funds that trade oil. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Gone. Gonzo. You get out of the park. You're out, right? Well, the difference with oil volatility is it never came back down. It has stayed above a level where historically, if it stays in this range, it creates an exceedingly volatile environment for oil and oil-related uh, activities and, and oil securities to the point where you get movements in price that are super, super whipsaw and strong in both directions. That becomes a very hard place for most people to invest. Anything in the OVX market, the, the oil volatility metric that's above roughly 42, 43, somewhere in there, is just a bad place to be. Yesterday, it was still at 47. So what are we doing now? Well, all that's doing is continuing to confirm the movement from quad two and Q4 to, Q, to quad one, growth accelerating, inflation decelerating in Q1. That's all that's happening.
And this 6.8% inflation print that we got yesterday from, from headline inflation, all that did was talk about the growth that inflation was a part of because of oil, but it doesn't talk anything about the 15% drop in oil in November. <laughs> it's old points. Markets don't look at what was, it look at what's coming. And so we have to recognize that how this market is working, things are telling you how to look at it and how to pick up where the clues are. Bond market's got it right. The stock market's got it right. The commodity market's got it right. Commodities themselves have hit lower highs alongside oil hitting lower highs alongside the U.S. 10-year Treasury hitting a lower high. From a fractal math perspective, those three things make up a similar set that's telling you inflation is done going up. But yet you're going to hear for a while on all the major news cycles, inflation is the worst in four decades. Well, yeah, that's true. It is the worst in four <laughs> decades. But it doesn't mean that it's going to continue that way. And if it were, you wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing in the oil market. You wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing in the CRB, the 19-component basket of commodities that trades in the open market. What people are going to do is they're going to hinge on things that don't matter in terms of headline CPI. And you know what that is? Lumber. Oh. Lumber's not inside the CPI basket. But let's, let's see. Last week, lumber's up 12%. And for the month, it's up a, a, a mere 74%. Oh, gee. Nothing, nothing, nothing to see there. Woo. Nothing to see here, right? But this is what old wall media is going to hinge on. They're going to say, look at how bad inflation is. And it's going to scare the pants off people. And they're going to go, oh, my God, inflation, it's going to kill us. And it's just crazy. And, uh, and, and meanwhile, it's over, right? Our expectation is that you're going to see disinflation happening so much so where it's going to start to affect the, the short end of the yield curve, the two-year treasury. And it's something to pay attention to, and it's something to keep your eye on. The top end of the two-year range is at 0.76%, 76 basis points. I don't think it gets any higher than that. And more likely than not, in the next 30 to 90 days, it probably goes down to about 45 basis points. And in the next six months, could easily go to 25 basis points. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about Fed rate cuts because of deflation. Meanwhile, the market's going to have already been behind because Q2 is where the market should have been paying attention to quad four deflation because of the base effect that you had from Q2 2021 and Q2 2022 data falling off a cliff. But the market's going to sniff that out ahead of time. So when? I don't know. Markets have a tendency to do it 30 or so days ahead of time, just like it did this one. So that means sometime roughly in, oh, I don't know, maybe end of February, market might be acting really odd, really weird in ways that you'd think if you didn't know any better, markets are going to go through some deflationary pain. Well, yeah, that's because that's what the math says. It's an acceleration or deceleration to or from both growth and inflation. And if you can get those two big things right, everything else that goes on is just kind of happening. It's just noise you got to get rid of the noise. And that's why if you don't pay attention to what's happening in vol space, volatility space, you're going to lose your mind in terms of trying to be an investor. And you're going to end up holding stuff through cycles that you shouldn't be holding. And that's a really hard component for people to understand when it comes to this stuff, Sean. I just in watching it for you know 30 years now.
Talking this morning with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. The website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. We're talking about this volatility. Now is a great time to talk with Chris. Pick up the phone and give him a call this morning. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886 for Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. The website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. We'll continue our conversation with Chris next as Care For My Wealth continues right here. Fox Sports 1070. The game. This is Care for My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070. The game, hanging out with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Really getting a great education this week, learning a lot. We do that each and every week. I don't know about you. I take uh, take a lot of notes during the program because there's a lot of uh, a lot of really really good stuff. A lot of learning and uh, just uh, kind of you start to see the stuff and go, oh my goodness, Chris was right on all that stuff. So it's it's really uh, it's really a great uh, great program. It's a great time hanging out with you guys on a, on a Saturday morning. And of course, you get to know Chris a little bit more. I'll the website careformywealth.com that's careformywealth.com the telephone number 866-596-9886 that's 866-596-9886 and uh and chris we were we were talking in that last segment just about uh, you know that the vix the curve um you know understanding volatility and, and the futures of volatility and um there's a lot obviously to take in with that stuff there's a and you and i were talking a bit during the break that it's a it's kind of when it comes to investing you were saying it's probably one of the most complicated um, areas for people to, to sometimes understand because you're dealing with with just such a mass amount of information and variable information as well. You are. And it's not just one of the most complicated areas. I think it's the most complicated area. You know, and when you start dealing in all the oddities, especially when dealing with some of the words and nomenclature that exist in futures contracts and structuring and things, it, it, it gets to the point where for most people, it makes no sense. And so it's hard to put it in a fashion that they that becomes actionable. And one of the things I always attempt to do on this show, uh, Sean, is, is that hopefully makes sense and hopefully comes through week after week, is that I want to give people actionable advice. Mm-hmm. I want to give people actionable items that they can look at and make sense of without having to get a PhD in vol of all metrics, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, rather than the than losing our minds and losing ourselves within the conversation of words, backwardation, contango, blah, 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 it's a function of just saying, okay, if these things exist, for example, if we have a really super steep curve, you know, and, and you can go to VicCentral.com and get a viewpoint of this. It's a very easy thing to look at. And if we get a super steep curve, like you're standing at the base of a mountain looking up, and that curve is like... 12, 13, 14, 15% on that first set of grades, that front month contract. And we're say, you know, 30, say we're like 20, 25 days away from the expiration of that contract. Like the expiration of the front month futures contract for VIX right now is December 22nd. All right. So it's a couple weeks. Well, in market time, that's, that's a long time. (laughs) You know, that's, that's a ways away. So you sit back and say, okay, if that number gets really steep, that's telling me that I'm walking in some super dense woods and there's a sign staring at me says, warning, bear sightings. Uh, Okay, 
I don't know. Have you ever been out west fishing in dense areas? Like you have to walk through stuff to get to the lakes and it talks about grizzly sightings. I've been camping. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's uncomfortable because you can't see stuff around you all that well. Okay. Well, that's what a very steeply curved Vic's term structure is telling you. It's not saying that crash is imminent. It's not telling you that, oh my God, the whole world's coming to an end because you still have to look at the macro backdrop. You still have to look at, well, where are we growth accelerating, inflation decelerating, or are we growth decelerating alongside inflation decelerating? What's the macro backdrop? Once you have the macro backdrop, well, now you can look at things like this VIX term structure and say, okay, well, how can I time my exit and my entry a little bit cleaner? So standing at the base of that mountain, looking up that first structure, that first move up the mountain is super steep. You're just in the dense woods and you saw a sign that says bear are near. Okay, good news. I should probably pay attention. On the opposite side of that, if I'm standing at the top of the mountain, I can pretty much see everywhere around me, meaning that curve structure goes straight down as you're standing on the front of it. Well, if I'm on the top of the mountain looking around and I can see for a mile away, I feel pretty comfortable about whether or not I see a bear because I can probably get somewhere safer before he gets to me, right? That's how you have to think about that VIX term structure is that, is it in a position where it's giving you a warning or is it telling you, hey, dude, not only is there a bear in the area, but he's literally standing behind you. (laughs) Pay attention. Well, when is that? When that front month is is usually above 15% alongside the expiration being farther away. When you've got that kind of scenario happening, it's just telling you that something's not right. Now, you couple that with a bad macro drop, quad four, for example, deflation, going from a very high GDP print to a not so high GDP print. And that's what makes it hard for people, Sean, is they look at it and go, but but that was still a good number. Yep. Market doesn't care. (laughs) Market cares about the rate of change going from one number to another. Was it an acceleration or deceleration? That's what it cares about. And so when they see that, all of a sudden, that macro backdrop of a quad four deceleration of growth and inflation starts sniffing out deflation alongside the VIX curve telling you, hey, dude, there's a bear behind you. You just might want to pay attention. This isn't the stuff that you get from following a 60-40 pie chart investing in stocks and bonds, in many cases, of completely the wrong types within the quadrant that you're in. And when markets are confused because of something that's never happened before, for example, pandemic, right? Things flip around a little bit. And I've told clients, I say, look, this has probably been one of the more difficult cycles over the last roughly six months to deal with that I've seen in my career, not necessarily because it was outwardly difficult or outwardly uh, confusing. It's because all the stuff going on underneath that's causing the market to start gyrating around. I commented to a, a very good client the other day on, on a Zoom call. I said, it's kind of like naming your dog Stay. <laughs> not let that sink in for a second. <laughs> come here, Stay. Stay. Come here. That's kind of like what the market's feeling, right? And so you have to get through that. Well, you get through that just by identifying where are we on that VIX mountain? Can I see or can I not see? And if I can't see, should I be super aggressive or should I take my foot off the pedal pedal some and prep myself for the next thing? Now, here's what I can say about where we are right now that I think is incredibly actionable. If you're sitting on a portfolio of assets that are heavily component 
of a quad two type investment cycle, both growth and inflation accelerating, the market is giving you an amazing opportunity to flip the portfolio into the appropriate holdings. And the best holdings that you can get inside of a quad one acceleration of growth and disinflation environment is get out of the commodity space, get yourself into tech, consumer discretionary, housing, industrials, materials, those are five things right there that act exceedingly well inside the macro backdrop that we're in, alongside the market giving you an opportunity if we see that pullback going into options expiration next week. But up until then, we're just simply raising capital, waiting for the next thing. You wait for the shoe to drop, and then you go and you pick it up. And the idea is, is that as long as volatility doesn't stay elevated, usually for more than three days, it's episodic. And it was a buy-the-dip opportunity. So, again, not to get so confusing for people listening with the whole contangle backwardation scenario, but just to give an example of what you would look at from an actionable perspective on how do I, how do I interpret what to do next, right? Do I need to get the bear spray out or do I just need to run? What do I need to do? And right now, it's really neither. It's just recognizing that the macro backdrop is actually stronger than you think. I mean, let's face it, disinflation? for consumers is pretty awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want things to become a little less expensive than what they have been? Yeah. You know, now if governments get out of the way, you'll see a better gas price. You'll see, you know, some some better prices to natural gas and, you know, things like that. Natural gas looks terrible. I mean, good grief. Take a look at a chart of natural gas these days, and it just is, like, blech, disgusting. <laughs> In fact, if it goes up a little from here, we'll short it because it's terrible and it goes down inside a quad one because it's a commodity it's disinflating right so i don't know did that make sense is that a better helpful interpretation on how to view stuff i love the i love the standing on the mountain and and having the view and looking for <laughs> having the power to see them uh, one thing too by the way before before we wrap up this week is as uh, you mentioned of course being cautious with volatility one thing that's always volatile is cryptos and bitcoin the past week or so has been it's been on an interesting ride, hasn't it? Yeah, that's another blech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so interestingly, uh, December fourth, um, which happened to be Saturday, uh, Bitcoin had a liquidation event, and it started in London, and it happened to be at like four forty in the morning. You know, that's the thing I hate about crypto is that it trades 24-7. It just never sleeps. It doesn't give anybody a chance to breathe. And so, you know, setting the buy and sell components into a Bitcoin, if you're not a maxi, I mean, I get it. People believe that this thing's going to replace the US dollar. And I, I don't know that I'm into that at this point. I don't know that I fully believe or trust governments uh, in that capacity. So that liquidation event, what's interesting about it, Sean, is that Bitcoin has gotten an institutional perspective to it. In other words, it wasn't that long ago where not a lot of institutions or publicly traded companies took any of their cash pile and put it into Bitcoin. They, they just didn't. And so Bitcoin had this, uh, this, this, I don't know, kind of a cultic following yeah. of people who bought and never sold, right? Well, now all of a sudden you've got hedge funds, and major publicly traded corporations who have to answer to their shareholders and their boards of directors on what's happening with the cash pile. 
And so you take companies like MicroStrategy or take companies like Tesla or whoever else have publicly stated that they have bought into lots and lots of Bitcoin. But more importantly, you start looking at the hedge fund community. And the hedge fund community has bought into the Bitcoin space very heavily. And as we know, and as we've talked again and again, that space is very different. They don't give two hoots about what the asset is. What they care about is, are you generating inflation? Or, or, or alpha, I should say, I'm sorry. Are you generating alpha, in other words, returns way ahead of markets, or not? And if you're not, these liquidation events take place in a very unpredictable fashion when the people who run, own, and maintain the, the, the bulk of the hedge fund tap the men or women who are holding large books of Bitcoin or other cryptos and tell them, you're out, you're fired, goodbye, see ya, don't come back, and they liquidate the book. They don't ask about it. They don't think that they should pick through it and identify which coins were bought at a good price. They just dump. Now, sometimes that liquidation events happens uh, because of massive leverage. As you know, the Bitcoin environment is one where if you're an institutional investor, you can lever this stuff up like 10 to 1. <laughs> now, now, think about the leverage of that, right? You put 100 grand in and you can go buy a million dollars of Bitcoin. Whew. And as volatile as Bitcoin is, it doesn't take much downside to wipe out your $100,000 capital base, which means you've got a margin call, which means, oh, by the way, if you're a hedge fund with other assets, you're selling everything just to pay it off. It's not what you can sell. You know, it's not what you want to sell. It's what you can sell. <laughs> so Bitcoin has moved itself into a much, much different space, I think, than what it was you know, some time ago. Now, does that mean that 20 years from now, it's not worth... You know, a million a coin? I have no idea. Stock to flow would tell you, yep, it's going to be worth that and more. But I don't know. And so, because of the I don't know component of it, all I can do is look at the very short term and make the best choices and decisions that we can make. And what I can tell you is that all the equities that are linked to Bitcoin, uh, block, uh, microstrategy, uh, Coinbase, uh, the Bito Futures, BITO, is a fairly new product that the uh, environment created. All those things have converted themselves into bearish trade, duration three weeks or less, bearish trend, duration three months or more. That's a bad thing. When Why is that a bad thing? Because when something loses one-month price momentum and changes their bullish to bearish trade perspective, when it loses momentum, the, the machine punishes it because hedge funds and other types of large investors have to dump. So Bitcoin's in a situation right now where there's this ceiling above it at about 53,000 and it keeps it's jumping up and it's hitting its head on the ceiling and it can't break it through. If it can't break through 53,000, if it hits it and fails it and hits it and fails it, that's that's the kind of thing where it would not surprise me to fall right back down to 42,000, hmm. which happened to be the low that that it got tested at on that liquidation event last Saturday, right? Okay. Well, what do I do with that? Well, just for me, I just want to be a little bit more careful with my Bitcoin holdings, meaning if I see him bump up to about 53, I'll probably sell some. Now, if it breaks through it, okay, fine. Good news. I'll hold the rest and I'll just you know buy some back as it becomes more stable again as volatility leaks out. If it fails there, I don't want to own it because I can probably buy it a lot cheaper when we go into quad four, which is what Bitcoin hates. And that's the hard part for most people that are viewing Bitcoin from a you know a maxi standpoint. In that, hey, this is going to replace the world's you know centralized finance because it's decentralized finance, and you know blah blah blah. 
shoot, Sean, I don't know. And your guess is as good as mine as far as whether or not any decentralization of finance ever even takes place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Governments are way too controlling in these kinds of things. I mean, you know, people are confusing Bitcoin with CBDCs, the, the central bank digital currencies that they want to create. CBDCs are just fiat currency in a digital format. It's nothing like crypto. But does that affect how crypto itself could potentially be viewed? Don't know, don't care. What I do know is that institutions have a much, much harder stance inside how crypto moves and why it moves than I think what people realize and recognize. And so because of that, this volatility that we're experiencing right now is, I don't know why it's happening other than there's this liquidation event that has taken place and may not be done yet. Mm. And if it's not done yet, well, where does it stop? Well, usually an asset that goes down and taps a certain level, a certain price, it's not uncommon for that asset to go back and test that level again. Well, that would mean 42,000 for Bitcoin. Now, is it a buy there? Again, the question would become what the calculus tells me. Right now, the low end of that calculus is 46,000. Bearish trade, bullish trend, I'm not a buyer. At 56,000, I'm absolutely a seller. At 53,000, if it fails, I'm a seller. Ethereum looks different. It's bullish trade, bullish trend. And at 4,000, which is about where it is yesterday, I would not necessarily be afraid of being a buyer. Ethereum is acting differently. It's viewed differently. It's used differently. And and I think that's one of the things to recognize. But in terms of, of portfolio construction, you know, this is something that everybody who wants to get into the crypto space just has to wrestle with and ask themselves, is this an asset that I can buy at whatever price and not care? Because 20 years from now, it's going to be like if I would have bought a thousand acres of something 20 years ago. Yeah right? Land is often viewed exactly the same as, as Bitcoin in terms of a hard to replace asset. Well, you know, you, you mentioned off air about quantum computing and the possibility of uh, Bitcoin potentially being, uh, being hijacked. Broken. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I have no idea. I mean, good grief, quantum computing. That's so far from my pay grade. I can't, I, I you know, how do you even spell quantum, right? <laughs> I mean, this is crazy sort of stuff, you know, it, but there's a lot of money in Bitcoin. I mean, $2.5 trillion worth of crypto was wiped out of the market inside of 40 minutes. Wow. Now think about that. Two and a half trillion dollars. It's not for the faint of heart. And we've talked about that because of its volatility. And that's why understanding volatility helps you to know where to be. As we talk volatility this week, and I know uh, one of my favorite lines from you is, uh, crypto, it'll rip your face off, I think was the <laughs> quote I got from you, which is which is oh so very true. You got to definitely uh, understand volatility. And of course, Chris would like to help you. We've been uh, listening to today's program. Curious to learn more about Chris, Capstone Wealth Management, the website careformywealth.com. Even easier, pick up the phone, give him a call. 866-596-9886. That's 866 866- 6-596-9886. Again, the website careformywealth.com and Chris's email info at careformywealth.com. Chris, it's always fantastic hanging out with you. You enjoy the day. Thanks so much, Sean. You too. We'll see you. This is Care for My Wealth here, Fox Sports 1070, the game. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.